pray with me. Father, I am thankful that your word doesn't have power because I can be eloquent or because I am even worthy to proclaim it. That your word has power because it's your word. And as we enter into your scriptures and we hear your word, we ask that you would speak. Speak to us, your people. Give us hearts that can receive it. And ultimately glorify uh, yourself in your name by transforming our hearts and our desires, we pray. In the wonderful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So several years ago, it was during a uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, one of the, the Sunday school classes at the church I was at, uh, decided to really bless us um, through, well, food, which is one of the best ways to do it. Um, and so they decided, you know, we are going to cook meals for all the pastors on the staff and just like, like a lot of food. It, you know, there's multiple meals worth that they, that they provided. And it, it was, you know, a lot of it we ate right away. Some of it we, we froze and, you know, kept for another time. And one of the things that we froze was this, was this pie that, that they gave us. And didn't necessarily know what it was. It, it looked like apple and, you know, we're just like, okay, you know, we're excited for that. Now, we had been given other desserts as well. And so there's really, I mean, my wife is gluten-free, so she couldn't eat it. I really shouldn't eat it. Um, and so we're just, you know, we're going to hold on to it we're hosting a staff Christmas party in, a, in, you know, like about a month, and it'll just be one less thing that we have to make ourselves. We can just, you know, pop it in the oven. So the staff Christmas party comes around. Um, you know, we finish cooking the, the ham, and uh, then we pop in the, the, this, this pie, hoping it's going to be, be warm for dessert. And it just took a little bit longer than we were expecting. And, you know, we, everyone had finished their meals, sitting around, waiting for dessert to start, waiting for the pie to be ready, and just kept checking, it's frozen, checking, it's frozen. Um, eventually, it's cooked through. So bring it out, get ready to serve it, cut in. It was not an apple pie or peach or blueberry. No, it was a chicken pot pie. <laughs> We've been waiting around for dessert and mightily disappointed when this pie did not come out to anything that we expected. We knew we thought, or we thought we knew what it was. We had no, no clue. And the problem wasn't with the pie. You know, I'm more of a savory guy, and if I had a choice, I might chick, you know, choose a chicken pot pie over an apple pie. But at that moment, it just didn't fit. It's not what we expected. Now, for those of you who have been coming to church most of your life, or perhaps it's your first time ever walking through the door, all of us kind of come, come to you know, have certain expectations about what Jesus is about. We think he's one thing. And when we do that, if we're wrong, well, there's a good chance, well, he's going to end up being a, a colossal disappointment to us as well. He's not going to match our expectations. We're not going to have room for him, if you will. We, we might come to come to the Gospels and expect Jesus to, you know, somehow miraculously God in the flesh match all the priorities of our political party. Or we may think of him as this, you know, this kind-hearted person who never had a cross word to say about anybody. Or we have the, the populist Jesus. Yeah, he spoke against the powers, but not against this, you know, the, the little sins of us individuals. 
We come expecting one Jesus, and oftentimes we find out, well, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And over the next several weeks, Pastor Dave and I, we're going to be going through a, a series of encounters that people have with Jesus. And in each encounter, well, what we're called to do, what we're hoped to do, is to be surprised by what Jesus has to say, by who Jesus is and what his message is. That he doesn't fit into the, the cookie-cutter mold that we may expect and want or perhaps even demand of him. We're called to be surprised, perhaps even shocked by the nature of who he is and his message to us. And if we fail to be, if we force him into the mold that we desire, well, there's, there's a great danger in that. William Temple, the, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, um, he had this point summarized by, by Dennis Kenlaw that if our concept of God is wrong, the more religious we become, the more dangerous we are to ourselves and others. If our concept of God is wrong, the more religious we become, the more dangerous we, we become to ourselves and others. That the God that we want to follow, it must be the right God, it must be the true God, it must be the God that Jesus, as the exact image of the Father, portrays himself to be. And if we don't take seriously the, you know, the, the radical nature of who he says he is and what he's come to be and his message for us, well, we might become more dangerous than we would like. That being said, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1019. And as, as we enter into you know, Jesus' ministry here, up until this point in Mark, everything has been going up for Jesus. You know, people clamoring for him, people you know, you know, cheering for him, the crowds coming, you know, sometimes it's even too much, you know, the crowds were coming to him so much that he has to escape to get away. He, you know, he goes into prayer to hide from the crowds, and Peter finds him, he's like, hey, Jesus, where, what have you been doing? There's people all around. They, they want you to heal them. They want you to do all this, this mighty work. And he says, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to go to other towns and preach there, to preach there, because that's why I have come. And as we come to, to Jesus in Mark 2, he is indeed preaching. But something else is going on. He, he's going to be interrupted by a very needy person. So chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing, with him, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking such things? 
Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. As I said, in Mark chapter 2, we come across a needy man. And it may be, well, it, it may be hard to pinpoint what he really needed. What, what was his issue? And one of the things that we may be tempted to do, and we would definitely be tempted to do if it was happening today and happening in our midst is that his real need is just a little bit of respectability. A little bit of respectability. Like, it's, it's really hard when judging, you know, reading from other cultures what's supposed to be considered rude. But I can't read this passage without looking at this man and his friends and saying, these are some really rude individuals. Right? They come upon Jesus Jesus is preaching, right? The reason that he came. The house is full. And they decide, well, you know, we're going to go. Most houses, they were, you know, one-story houses, but they would have a staircase on the side in order to get up to the roof. And they're saying, hey, no, we're just going to take the staircase, and we're going to just destroy somebody's roof. I think the, the little Greek is they unroof the roof. They get in there. It's can't you just wait? Like, can't you just, I don't know, hang out for a little bit, let Jesus finish what's going on, and, and then grab him when he's not so busy? No, they, he, he goes and he does it. And he goes and, you know, there's this, this room, this, this house that's pack, packed full of people so much, it's, it's standing room only. No one can get in. People can't, you know, it's, they're just packed in there. And he's just, you know, it's standing room only, and he comes in lying down displacing numerous people in order to get what he wants. I can imagine being a little bit frustrated if, if, you know, if that's going on. And not only that, he interrupts Jesus in the middle of what Jesus is called to do, in the middle of what Jesus is wanting to do. Now, several years ago, and I, you know, I was uh, predominantly a, a youth pastor, and uh, during the the nature of the group that I, I was pastoring at that time was a lot of unchurched kids. And one of the, the strategies and the, the things that I was trying to do is make our Wednesday night services almost, you know, like a, a, a mini Sunday morning service so that these, these kids would feel more comfortable going into you know, a Sunday morning service either at that moment or after they graduated. And so you know, we would have the, you know, the whole thing, you know, just worship, you know, a congregational prayer, the, a preaching, you know, a proclamation of the word, like, you know, a 30-minute sermon, you know, just what a normal service would often look like. And at that time also, you know, the way our church, you know, was doing things is, you know, on Wednesday nights, everybody had something. So, the, you know, the kids were meeting, the youth were meeting, the adults either had a Bible study or a choir to go to, and so we'd all kind of meet to, together as families, and before these meetings, oftentimes, we would have dinners 
You know, just like three bucks ahead, come, you know, grab some food beforehand, hang out with each other, and you, know, you don't have to worry about cooking. And it's, 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 a pretty, it's a great time, and this one particular family did an amazing job always cooking the most lavish meals where you're like, I don't understand how you can get that cost point under three bucks a person because it is fantastic, it's delicious, it's ornate, it's like gourmet meals for three bucks. And she had a real heart for you know, the, the, the youth, which was awesome. And that's particularly the, these unchurched kids who were, who were coming in, who oftentimes couldn't afford even the, the three bucks a head that was required. And so you know, after everything was kind of done, everyone had gone through, and uh, you know, they were cleaning up, and they had extras, well, she wanted to be able to share. And so she would come in, but oftentimes right in the middle was when I'm preaching, at about this point in the, in the message, just walk in and, I have cake! <laughs> and it's a sweetheart, but man, that's, a, that's an interruption. And I can't, and, and, and I know her, no ill intention on her part, but yet at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, have you no respect for the proclamation of the word of God? Have you, have you no reverence for, for what's happening here? Like, this isn't just us, you know, hanging out. This isn't game time. This is, this is the preaching of the word of God to the people of God. And these kids who are coming from these unchurched homes, that they are sitting here and listening and holding on for a 30-minute sermon, and you're coming in and treating it as if it's a trivial thing. Now, I didn't actually say that, but I was thinking it pretty much every time it happened. And this man... This layman in the story, he doesn't just interrupt the preaching of the word of God. No, no, he interrupts the word of God while he was preaching. The very word of God in our midst. And he says, oh, nope, take care of me. And if I was Jesus, my response to the layman would be, time and place, dude. This is not the time, this is not the moment. Just have a little bit of reverence, have a little bit of you know, feel the room, man. This is not it. But that's not how Jesus reacts to him, is it? This man who we could so easily despise for his well, irrespectability, his demand to be put front and center, or at least that of his friends, to say, hey, he takes precedence over all else. Yet that's not how Jesus responds to him, is it? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And oftentimes as the needy come to Jesus, what we often think their, their need is, well, is just get yourself together. Have a little bit of respectability. You know, feel the room of what's going on. But that's not Jesus' response, is it? There's also the temptation to, to view his need, his primary need, as, you know, I guess what seems to be the most obvious thing, is it? He's paralyzed. He can't walk. He has a physical problem. And I wonder how he and his friends, you know, responded when rather than healing the man, Jesus' response is, son, your, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if it's something like, yeah, that's, that's great, Jesus. But I kind of have a, 
a more immediate concern here. A little bit of a, of a bigger problem. You know, I, can't you see the, the real need? You're talking about, you know, my sins are forgiven. Yeah, and that's, that's great. You know, a little bit of religion can go a long way. But, but right now, I need the, the, a practical help here, Jesus. And I think when Jesus is responding is implicitly saying, no, this is your need. This is your need. You think that the most immediate need is that you can't walk, but your real most immediate need is this, that you are a sinner who's transgressed the commandments of a holy God, but I'm offering forgiveness. It's very often times where we think we know what our needs are. We think that we know the, the problems of our life. We think that if these things would be solved, well, then our life would be together. And we come to Jesus and say, hey, this is my problem. Fix it for me. Help me out. Like, don't you see what's happening here? As time has gone on, I've, I've realized, well, I've realized for others that they don't really have a good idea of what their needs actually are. I assume it applies to myself, but, you know, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to say that. But for others, definitely, they don't know what their needs really are. Now, when uh, at our church, you know, in my previous church, we would have a, a benevolence team that wanted to help people who, who had, well, who were needy people. And one of the things that we realized that for the needy people is very oftentimes, well, they didn't really understand what their needs truly were. They, say, they look at their needs and say, well, you know, my rent is due and I don't have money. My electric is due and I don't have money. I need this and I don't have money. But the Benevolence Committee realized that, you know, it's like, well, yeah, these, I understand that, that you feel that this is your primary need, just to, you know, band-aid over solution of, of what you're feeling. But at the same time, well, there's a much deeper need that you have. The reason that you don't have rent or electric or, you know, plum, you know uh, water. The reason you don't have those monies, that there's these underlying concerns that need to get addressed. And so we, de we decided as a church that, that we're not going to give same-day money to people who are coming in. That, but we were going to invite people into you know, having people walk with them to get their finances in order so that next month and the month after and the month after that, they weren't going to continue to have problems. But I'll tell you, that was not a popular decision. And as people would come in, there's one guy in particular who, who I remember he came in and oftentimes the, the, the secretary was able to, to handle such cases, but uh, he got in before she, before she got in and I was the only one there and he, he got me and he says, listen, I, I need money for some medicine. I'm having an outbreak of, of, of this thing and it's, and it's pretty painful. And he, you know, explains his story, you know, tells about, you know, his, I think his sister had, you know, dropped him off there and all, all this stuff was going on, and, um, and I told him, like, this is our process. He says, oh, and then he tries to, you know, coax me a little bit more, and just, like, you know, I don't think you understand how, how big the problem is and, and how much I need it right, right now. 
I said, well, I'm sorry to hear that, but this is, this is our process. And while it's easy to say, okay, you know, just give him the money he needs, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, well, why doesn't he have $20? And if that's all he needs, why does his sister who lives in the area not provide him $20? Or any of his family and friends? There's, there's, there's got to be something more that's going on. There's got to be a deeper need that's happening where all the people around him who he's friends with and fam, you know, family with, that they're unwilling to give him $20. And so I invite him in, and you know, he immediately moves, not from you know, just you know, hear my, my, my story, but, but angry. How dare you not give me what I want? How dare you not see my need? How dare you, you know, try to, to suggest that I'm not worthy of, of, of this? And eventually, after, after cursing me out, he, he storms off, and he, uh, you know, goes across the street to, to the, the parsonage where uh, the other pastor w- was living and um, who told him pretty much the same thing, but I'm sure didn't make him very happy. But ultimately, it's, you know, he had a need. He felt like he knew what his need is. But I'm pretty sure that his need went much, much deeper than he thought. And as we come to Jesus and we come to our needs, our should surprise us, what often does surprise us is that what Jesus sees as our need is not necessarily the need that we perceive, the need that we feel the most. So as I come to Jesus, I come letting him change my priorities, just as he does with this man. As this man, he comes to Jesus and he hears Jesus' words and he hears, you know, this, you know your, son, your sins are forgiven. And it may come across as a, as a disappointment at first. It's like, Jesus, don't you get what's going on? But Jesus said, yes, I do. I see the whole scope of your life. And what you need right now is forgiveness. Take a moment right now And think about your needs, your problems, your cares and concerns. For those of you who just, you know, the young people who just started school, it may just be a cantankerous teacher that doesn't like you for some reason. Or a cafeteria that's that's filled with strangers and no friends. For others, it's the mortgage that's due. Being hard to get an interview the medical problem that keeps getting worse. And for most of us, we think, you know, that's my great need. And what the scriptures often will declare to us is, no, our great need is that we are sinners that stand before a holy God. That we need something more and deeper. And there's nothing more practical or relevant or, or present that if we really understood the, the scope of what's happening, there's nothing that's, that's a, a greater need for our life is to hear those words that Jesus offers this, lay, young, uh, this lame man, son, your sins are forgiven. That this, this chasm that stands between you and God has been fixed through my authority. That I have made you right with the Holy One of Israel. And perhaps it shocks us 
Perhaps it surprises us. Perhaps it angers us. Yet this is what Jesus offers us. The forgiveness through himself, through the authority of the Son of Man to make sinners right with the Holy God. Could it be that if the lame man left with his sins forgiven but his legs still unhealed, that he would still be better off than if the the reverse happened? His legs worked but his heart was still broken. I think Jesus' answer is yes, he's better off with his sins forgiven. And so I may bring, as I bring my needs to Jesus, I let him change my priorities. But also as I bring my needs to Jesus, I allow him to transform me, not just my circumstances. That, that as we come to Jesus, Jesus is doing a work in you. And he may not answer our prayers the way that we always want, But yet, in each prayer that the people of God lift up to him, Jesus responds with his grace. Jesus responds with a a transforming grace for the people of God to use our pain, our needs, our suffering in a way that glorifies him. And yes, the slain man, he he left with his legs able to walk again. But why does Jesus do it? Why does Jesus do it? He does it to reveal his authority to forgive sin. To reveal that he can indeed bring together these people who are are at odds and enemies with, with God. And to draw people to glorify God. That they all leave praising and glorifying him. Now could it be that within our needs, that God wants to do a work in order to proclaim his goodness to a world through them. Imagine two, with me for two men, both Christians, both talking to you and saying, hey, listen, you, you need to give Jesus a shot. And one of them is a man who seems to have it all together, or really who does have it all together. He's got a great high-paying job, a beautiful house, a, a gorgeous wife, two kids who are not, you know, adorable and you know, respectable, but you know, well-behaved. He, he has everything that you want. And he says, listen, listen, you, you need to trust in Jesus. He, he gives you joy and peace in life. And you may respond to him, well, listen, I, you, that may be true, but maybe your joy and peace in life is because you have everything that I ever wanted. That if I could design a life, it, it'd look a lot like yours. And it's, it's easy to say, oh, you know, trust, trust in Jesus. He gives you joy when, when you don't have the problems that I have. But now imagine somebody like Richard Wormbrand, the, the Lutheran priest who, who served in Stalin's Soviet Union. The one who, who, offer, who authored the, the book Tortured for Christ who started you know, the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, who, who recounts to us the, the horrors that he went in, in you know, a Stalin labor camp, where he was routinely beat and crushed, where they, they, they tied him down and beat his feet to, literally to the bone, where they would lock him in an in a ice chamber, where they'd throw him often in solitary confinement, where they would dig holes in his back to pluck out his flesh, 
And not only that is they went after his family. They, they put his own wife in a labor camp. They expelled his son from university multiple times just for the stench of him being near them. And when he was finally released after public outcry, he was exiled from his homeland to not return. And you hear him talking and he, and he tells you, you know, I have found that the truly jubilant Christians only in the Bible, in the underground church, and in prison. That the most joyous Christians that I've, I've found are, are not the ones who have the life altogether. They're the ones who, who are in hiding from a, a, a domineering, tyrannical government who are being beaten and persecuted, yet they find the joy of Jesus. He likens it to a fiddler who's playing a, a song that's you know, so uh, grand that everyone who hears it can't help from dancing. But he says that, that those who are with Jesus in suffering hear this music to which the other men are deaf. They dance and they don't care if they're con- even if they're considered insane. That they're able to hear the music of Jesus in their suffering and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus as they, as they are going through the most well, the worst pains that you can imagine, and to proclaim the goodness of Jesus to his people. That in our needs, that in our concerns, and in our pain, we see the transforming grace of Jesus to his people to produce in them a joy and a peace. And he does this because what Jesus is concerned is not Not that he dismisses our pain, not that he dismisses these things, but his concern is to reveal to the world who he is and what he's like. He reveals to the world his grace that that transforms them, that even through the darkest valleys, even through the hardest times, that there is a joy and a peace and a life to the people of God. And in our pain, and in our need, could it be that that's exactly what God wants to do in his people? That removing it isn't his top priority because he has a much deeper work for his people to reveal and to proclaim his grace to the world. Could it be? And you may ask, well, why should I trust Jesus? Why should I trust his, what he's concerned about? Why should I trust what he values rather than what I feel? I'd simply respond is that we see in the person of Jesus a man who chose his fate, who chose to suffer along with us, that he could free us from the bondages of sin. As far as we can tell, it cost God nothing to create the world to heal a broken bone, yet to heal the people from their sin, to rectify this chasm that stands between us and God. What does it cost God? It cost him his son. It cost him the sending of his son for us to suffer along with us, to die for us, that we could be made right with him. That as God sees the needs of humanity He could fix so many of them with it costing him nothing. And yet when he sees that our deepest need, our deepest concern is this whole sin problem that afflicts us. And so what does he do? Well, he gives his son, his one and only son. He gives his beloved 
that we could become his children. And he offers that to us even now. That you are called to come to Jesus with your needs, but you're called to allow him to to change and transform our ideas of what our needs are, but also us within our needs. To hear his voice as he calls us to become his sons and his daughters. Do you hear his voice today? Do you hear Jesus this morning? If you do, don't harden your heart. If you hear his voice, say yes to him. Some I'd like to call up Dwayne as we prepare to take the elements. Pray with me. Kind Father, what I cannot communicate with words or eloquence or passion or any of these things, Lord, you by your spirit can, can do. Come and proclaim to us the, uh, the words of your scriptures. Help us to see the, the depths of our, our, of our true need that we can be made right with you. And come, Lord, as we partake in, your, in the elements of your flesh and your blood, come and meet with us, your people, and transform us into the image and the likeness of your Son, we pray, in the wonderful and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.